What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, John Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? Another year of conference previews in the books after this. There you go. It feels like it hasn't been six weeks since we started this, nor does it feel really? like we're close yeah. enough to the season that we could we can be done with conference previews. Now, part of that is we have changed the schedule structure a little bit because usually when we're finishing up the last power conference preview, we are 14 days from the beginning of the season or something to, to that effect. So a little bit different, but nonetheless, six of six, the SEC, the Southeastern conference, Southeastern Southeast mm-hmm. is, the, is the urn. In Southeastern. There or not? Oh yeah. Okay. It just means more. All right, there you go. If you are new, thank you so much for being here. If you have missed the previous previous five previews, uh, those are all available both on our podcast feed and on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to catch up on them, we'd very much appreciate it if you checked those out as well. We've done the Power Five the traditional Power Five conferences, as well as the Big East uh, for the College Hoops preview series. Over the next six weeks or so, we will be releasing accompanying conversations with people who cover either teams or or that conference as a whole. So that will be coming out over the next six weeks or so to get to get some commentary from people who are paying really really close attention to to each conference anywho anything else any other housekeeping we need to get out of the way before we before we dive in let's go for it five categories team you're most excited for the team you are most intrigued by story lines teams that can make the nca tournament and then a winner any questions josh no which team are you most excited for I went Texas A&M just because I will always be happy when a group of players kind of get to carry things over and build off of a really successful season and when a non-traditional power in one of these high major conferences might have something really special relative to program expectations, and that's where Texas A&M is at. Almost everybody is back from a very good team last season. Now, you can have a conversation about exactly what that means with the way their schedule kind of worked in SEC versus non-con and all that, but it was a good basketball team. You add Jace Carter from UIC, there is plenty of talent here and plenty of experience and continuity to suggest this team's going to be significantly better this season than they were last season. So I'm just excited to see whether they can live up to this hype and the fact that we're talking about Texas A&M as one of the better teams in the SEC. That part of this is why I chose them. The more specific thing I'm just curious about, their two big weaknesses were interior defense and shooting. They didn't block shots. They didn't create turnovers. They didn't rebound the ball on defense. Can they do better at some of those things? 
can they use their defense more to create some offense? Can they stop teams from getting extra possessions? Because that's you got to find somewhere to improve, right? <laughs> you're even bigger on this than I am. I think this idea of just because you bring people back doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a better basketball team. It is one of my pillars of my college basketball philosophy, yeah. 100%. The idea is those players get better, smarter, higher IQ. You know, they just learn how to navigate things better, but that needs to translate into statistical evidence. So that's the, the couple areas I'm looking for with Texas a yeah, I think when when looking at Texas A&M, I, my first instinct, I'm not going to lie, was, okay, let's see just how easy their SEC schedule ended up being last year because otherwise on paper it doesn't make a ton of sense when you go from a, a stretch in non-conference where in about a month you lose to Murray State, Colorado, Boise State, Memphis, and Wofford. That's who they lost to in their non-conference schedule. So it didn't make a ton of sense, but you know, honestly, they they had a lot of 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 quality wins. Like they, yes, they got you know they got Alabama at home last year and beat them in the final game of the regular season. So that that was helpful. Um, but they won at Auburn. They won at Missouri. Uh, two teams that were really solid. They they got Tennessee at home and won that game. So it was a combination of. Yeah, you got lucky with getting Alabama at home at the end of the season when they're kind of in cruise control, Alabama at that point. Pro- probably probably helps. But they also won some some impressive basketball games and winning on the road both at Missouri last season and and at Arkansas were and at Auburn were um are not things to 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 scoff at. I am I am curious if it's just kind of a like we might end up in a similar place to 25 and 10 again this year but it looks a little bit more balanced and not quite as lopsided uh from their non-conference to their conference schedule yeah and we're to the point where the sc with the sec where if we're going to just go down and talk about all these coaches and how good all these programs are getting then when you put up 12 13 14 conference wins there can't be caveats mm. Now, can the schedule and the way things break maybe swing it from 10 to 12 or 12 to 14? Sure. But it's not like you can go through this conference, no matter what the lineup is and how your schedule ends up looking, and just say you picked up 14 wins just by getting the right end of the stick when it comes to the SEC. There are too many good basketball teams, too many good coaches for anybody to just coast through which is part of the reason why I, I'm leaning toward buying Texas A&M and, and, and feeling like the hype is justified high, heading into this season. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and, is a good, and is a good point that this is no longer a conference that if you, if you got to play Kentucky once and it was at home, that it wasn't that hard of a schedule that that's kind of the thing that decides if it's a tough schedule or not. And then if you get the, the average teams at home, then, then you can put piece together a really good schedule, a really good record and not have that many impressive wins. Um, I didn't think too hard with team. I'm most excited about I'm not going to lie. Um, I put Kentucky here because I've just got, I I, like they, this can go, uh, 
a million different ways, right? DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, Aaron Bradshaw, Rob Dillingham. We're going to have five stars coming off the bench because we have them coming out the wazoo. There are, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous to, to pull up a two, four, seven sports uh, recruitment page and there to be double digit recruits on that. Uh, not like double digit, 10 of them. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and they they have a bunch of freshmen coming in that are that fit the right you and I talk about this a lot not all five stars are created equal mm-hmm. but three or four of these guys are like okay that guy on paper looks really impressive it's not uh somebody that has very obvious holes um in terms of returning returning members or older members of this basketball team Antonio Reeves coming back to Kentucky Trey Mitchell uh, to the two guys that I expect to be kind of anchoring the starting lineup with actual college basketball experience, at least to start the season. But the story here is the freshmen. There might be a slightly more elevated floor um, as a result of of Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell ending up on this roster, but the ceiling of this team is absolutely going to be dictated by how good DJ Wagner is, how good Justin Edwards is, how good Aaron Bradshaw, Rob Dillingham, all of these guys are going to be. I've got front court depth questions. I mean, we're bringing guys in from Eastern Europe because the the front court is so thin. Um, and then on top of all of it, this is I think this is a weirdly important year for Cal Perry and his the the future of his uh job status at Kentucky. Absolutely. Uh, this is a vintage Calipari roster. This is how he is built. This is a team that looks like how he's built teams over and over and over again. There's not as much dilly-dallying in the transfer portal. Your 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 most important player on the team isn't coming from a different school, you know, last year. This is very vintage Calipari and the way that this team has been put together and the last couple of years have been pretty forgettable and um and I think like at some point we gotta do something about it. And if this team falls flat on his face, I think there could be some uh some serious repercussions. For those reasons in particular, that's why I have them as my most intriguing team. Sure. I find them more intriguing than exciting, although they are it is gonna be exciting to see what they become. But there are there are layers to this, as you were laying out. It's okay. Antonio Reeves is back. What does that exactly mean? Trey Mitchell's coming in. How much of an impact? Of course, he's going to be a huge part of this team. Is he the kind of piece that can elevate you from second weekend to final four? Because that's kind of maybe what they need him to be, right? If you're going to build a team around freshmen, you've got, and you and I are both big on this, you have to have other pieces that have been there before and have done this. Mm-hmm. If you're going to win a national championship. And then you've got the Cal Perry part of this and the, the going back to the, the DNA of what he does, right? Bring in all the talented freshmen, see what we can get out of them, send them to the NBA. Like you said, if that doesn't work, there are some really hard questions that need to be asked about not necessarily whether Calipari should be fired, because to me that's not the right, right rate of frame it. But should this, is it in everybody's best interest to continue this partnership? Mm. Calipari's as well, if this doesn't work. And then the other part of this for me, 
that I do want to touch on briefly is I'm still worried about the shooting. None of these fresh the star freshmen are not necessarily not that they can't shoot the ball, but they're not necessarily knockdown shooters. That's not what they do first, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Reed Shepard is the guy that maybe can provide that. Antonio Reeves is supposed to provide that. But Kentucky had two of those guys last season, and we were still here talking about floor spacing and not being able to figure out how to use Oscar Sheboy and how to balance everything. Which seems to happen a lot at Kentucky. It seems like we bring good shooters into Kentucky and they don't shoot as well as they were expected to. Right. And I... I think there's an argument Antonio Reeves had a better season than he gets credit for just because the team was so forgettable, especially compared to other Kentucky teams. But that's the other aspect of this to me that I'm curious about is how important is shooting to this team? And are they good enough to where we don't talk about it? Maybe these freshmen are just so good it doesn't matter. They're not going to be an awful shooting team. They've got a couple guys who are knockdown shooters. So if those guys are just there doing what they do, maybe that's enough. But I can also see a world in which lanes get clogged and it looks really difficult like it did last season for different reasons, but it's still coming back to the support for the people who need to have the basketball going to the basket, right? Not necessarily throwing it into the post, but you want DJ Wagner going downhill to make things happen. Most of these freshmen, right, slashers, playmakers, creators, go into the basket. They all fit nicely with each other, but they all do have some overlap in their skill sets, which it's a skill set that you can have five guys on the floor that do that, right? It's not like that's a problem in and of itself, but if you start clogging lanes with a bunch of freshmen who have never played at this level before, you might run into trouble. That's the other part of this for me. I also am not totally sold that any of them are playmakers for other people. Maybe playmakers for themselves, mm-hmm. but it's not like like DJ Wagner is an aggressive score first, ask questions later guard, and it's not there. There isn't an Isaiah Collier, Elliot Cadeau type point facilitator. guard facilitator on this team. So yeah, I'm I, I'm also a little bit like I can see a world in which in which Kentucky is nowhere near greater than the sum of their parts, mm-hmm. and and probably would bet on if I had to pick one side or the other that individually they are better than the unit they are as a team and maybe I'm I'm wrong about that but I'm really big it's really hard to ask especially when <laughs> like like when you come to Kentucky you're good at what you're good at and you're not there to cultivate other skills like not really or you're to there sacrifice to sacrifice that for the betterment of the team. Right. You're there to show the NBA that these skills that you have are worth investing in like 12 months from now. Right. And so I don't like I don't expect DJ Wagner to come in and then all of a sudden be a facilitator. Or at the very least, not for that not to be an instinct that is on the same level as his aggressive downhill nature so i'm a little worried about that and especially when you point out that you know it's 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 not uncommon for a kentucky team to have trouble shooting the basketball mm-hmm. if you have clogged lanes and and guys that aren't 
instinctually getting others the basketball, then we could run into a, into some issues when it comes to offensive efficiency. But with all that being said, they have 10 freshmen. They have three of the top six guys in the class, and that's not including Robert Dillingham, Rob Dillingham. That's not in- including Ugana Onyenso. Like they're, they've got uber talented guys all over the place. And we'll, uh, we'll see what did actually, what they actually spit out on the floor. It's entirely possible revisiting one of the things you said this team makes the sweet 16 and you still feel like it's not greater than the sum of its parts sure sure right which i think is what you were getting at that it doesn't that doesn't necessarily make the season a failure it's just very difficult when you are this talented to actually make all the pieces fit in a way that makes you better because your standard is already so high that you're trying to improve upon right you're not trying to take a bunch of kind of afterthoughts, you know, two, three-star recruits, guys who couldn't get looks at the high major level and trying to turn them into a team that can take down Team X, Kentucky. whoever it is. Kentucky. Right. Kentucky, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So that's part of this too. But I, I'm with you that I find it hard to believe we're going to look up and – because we never do with Kentucky. Look there and say that is the most complete team in the country. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just not what Cal Perry's trying to do, and he's very transparent about that. The last thing I'll say on Kentucky is I, I'm not totally sure which freshman is going to be the guy by the time we get to March, by the time we get to late February. Um I'm not super like it could be any of them. You could talk me into any of them. But the very best Kentucky teams, when they're so dependent on freshmen, they have a guy that kind of turns into the guy, and it could be it could be any one of them. Like I, it's not that I don't believe that there's one of those guys who can be that, but like when we got to the end of the 2014-15 year, like obviously Carl Anthony Towns was the best player on that team. Does one of these guys, John Wall, was obviously the best player on that team. Um, De'Aaron Fox, and I guess you can throw Malik Monk in there as well, but De'Aaron Fox, mostly, that would be the guy I would pick first. By the time we got to the NCAA tournament, De'Aaron Fox was the guy on that team. So who's the who's the guy when it's a tight game in, in March that you know you can lean on? Uh, to get you a bucket, to get you to help get you a stop, to find a, the open guy to get a good shot when you absolutely have to have it. Um, I will be very curious to see who that who that guy is, or to just go get you twenty five when you need it. Sure, because that is a good point that that the really good Kentucky teams have somebody that can elevate kind of above the rest of the team, right? Mm-hmm. Some guys you feel like they just they never reach their their full potential at the college level, but there are those those other guys that you just go, any any game, they are capable of just blowing you away and being the best player on the floor, completely taking over, specifically yeah. at the guard position. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very I'm I'm very much looking forward to that to to what to what this team can do this season because it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fascinating either way. Absolutely. So we've hit on both of your teams now. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you went 
Texas A&M and Kentucky. I'll uh, I'll throw one um Ole Miss Rebels in as the team that I'm that I'm most intrigued by. What about my um, second choice probably? Of course it starts with Chris Beard comes in to take over for Kermit Davis. Kermit came from MTSU, started with an NCAA tournament appearance, and then it just kind of went downhill from there um, to the point where it was it was pretty bad last year. So a couple things at play here for me. One, how quickly does Chris Beard turn this thing around? It's not like he's coming in and, and taking over a team that looks similar to the one that was in Oxford last year. This is a very di- different team. Um, a lot of transfers headlined by several high major transfers. Alan Flanagan from Auburn. That's a 10 and five guy from last year in the sec. Musa Cisse from Oklahoma state. That's a former five-star big 12 defensive player of the year started his career at Memphis and then had two pretty successful years um, in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Brandon Murray from Georgetown yep. played at LSU his freshman season. And then we all know what happened at LSU. He goes to, Georgetown and plays lots of minutes, shoots lots of shots. The splits aren't very good, but that's 13.7 points there. You have one of the few guys in the country that's taller than Zach Eady and Jamarian Sharp, who I'm actually pretty impressed by. Um, I hadn't watched a ton of Jamarian Sharp. He's He played at Western Kentucky, two-time defensive player of the year. The, the defensive and, numbers are stupid. Yeah, it's 4.6 <laughs> and 4.1 blocks the last the last two seasons yeah. per game. He actually moves really well for seven five and he has some touch around the rim. He's got this little short baseline thing that I guess it's a jumper. I guess it's kind of like a, like a, like a floater push shot kind of thing, but clearly there's a little bit of touch there. And then you bring back your two leading scorers from last year and Matthew Merle and Jamin Breakfield. So deep breath. There's a lot here in Oxford. There's a lot. And, you know, Chris Beard, there's there there there's plenty that has been said about his off court issues and what happened when he was at Texas and ultimately the reason that he was let go as the head coach of Texas. But all things can like everything points towards Chris Beard being a very high level college basketball coach. And he's done a good job getting guys to come to Oxford. And so it's a, it it could be, you know, it starts with Chris Beard and, and just who is he now? What does this look like? We're kind of out of Texas. We're in a different conference. It's just a brand new element for him. And then we have a lot of guys that like, Oh, I kind of like it. I, I, I like that guy. I'm a fan of that guy. Um, so we will, we will see how it goes, um, but massive overhaul for the coach, massive overhaul for the roster, and I'm super intrigued to see. I mean, this is a team that started 6-0 and and lost 21 of their last 27 games last season. It was not pretty. They finished 12-21. and I think it was 3-15 and in conference, if I'm remembering correctly. It was not, it was not great. Not great in the slightest, so... What does are we talking? Is this a tournament team we're putting on the floor this year? Is it just a step in the right direction? Um, all of these things I'm curious about because it's probably going to be a completely different roster next year too. So um, we'll see. I'm I'm fascinated. Not only is this a new and improved roster, 
most of the guys you just listed, and you can throw a couple other ones in there as well. Austin Nunez, Rashad Marshall is coming in as a top 100 recruit. But specifically, Cissé, Murray, Brakefield. I know Brakefield's obviously been there and is now established in the SEC. You could argue they haven't even reached their potential. Right? These are big-time recruits. There's mm-hmm. a reason Brakefield ended up at Duke. Brandon Murray, we were talking about, is maybe the best freshman in the country. Seems and, like forever ago. Right. And for various reasons, Moose Cissé didn't really work at Memphis, but like you said, very good player at Oklahoma State. For various reasons, it just hasn't played out the way it, you would necessarily expect for players of this caliber. But it's not like they don't have talent, mm-hmm. not just to make this team better but to elevate and unlock something we haven't seen from these guys before. That's part of what I'm fascinated by here too, because are you going to tell me that the Texas tech national championship game team that almost won, it was that much more talented than this one. Probably not. There was continuity and there's, and the best player on that team is light years better than the best player on this team. Right, and Jared Culver became one of the best players in the country. My mm. point being, would you be stunned if we get to March and it looks like that might be able to happen, whether it's Brandon Murray, whether it's Matthew Murrell, whoever? Because we weren't talking about Jared Culver that way before the season, right? We were talking about Jared Culver as really promising, uber-athletic, lots of talent, look for him to take a big step, and then he exploded. And I actually again, don't remember. That's a good point. I don't remember how Jarrett Culver was talked about that preseason. I don't think he was super, super hyped. I don't think so. I, I don't remember that being the case. Maybe I'll try to I'll try to find like a preseason something or another, but that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. And again, nobody was talking about Jared Culver coming out of high school, right? My point just being if if Chris Beard could turn that group into Again, yes, the, the continuity is a fair point in, in getting to work with them for an extended period of time. But if he can turn that group into a team that almost won the national championship, imagine what he can do if if everything goes the exact same way. And that's a massive if that needs to be qualified. But that's the other thing I keep coming back to with this team is it's not it's not a lack of talent. This isn't just, a, oh, they might be good enough to make the tournament team. No, this is a collection of former top 100 recruits and established guys in the SEC and your two leading scores coming back. Yeah, I probably, I guess I would say that I would be surprised if we were talking about Ole Miss the way we were talking about that Texas Tech team by I the end too. of the year. Yeah. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. If If you told me that he's going to get 90% of this roster back next year, then then we could like if you if you if you gave me the the 2025 March 2025 I'd be I'd be more confident than in that but it's certainly not off the table and also this is a Chris Beard who did not get the most out of his super talented Texas teams yeah which were a collection of transfers not all that different than these ones so yes not to guarantee that it's going to happen I am somewhat skeptical as well I'm not out here saying Ole Miss is going to be a top 10 team or anything like that. 
But my point simply is, I don't feel like this is all that different from a, a roster talent collection standpoint. It's mm-hmm. built differently, but it's not all that different than what he did at Texas Tech. If anything, the upside is way higher with this team from a pure individual player-by-player talent standpoint. All right, I'm looking at Chelsea Bussing Brackets. I've found a Big 12 basketball 2018-19 preseason conference awards predictions. Um, he's got to be he's got to be on this list, right? Shouts to Desmond Bain, sure. Third team, pre- he was a second team yeah. All Big Twelve prediction for busting brackets yeah, that year. That sounds right. And he finished a first team All American, right? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. I'm I'm almost positive. Right, he was very much a watch out for him. He's going to have a really good season. He's a very good player, but not the kind of guy that's going to carry a team to a Final Four, which is obviously what he ended up being. He he also and he played next to Keenan Evans the the, the yeah. year before, which yep. was and Keenan Evans was was spectacular. Mm-hmm. They said he was able to get good looks last season based off the fact Evans drew so much attention. He has to find a way to make an even bigger impact if this team wants to be successful. Good shout. He found a way. They went he to did the it. national championship. <laughs> uh, Ole Miss. I'm super intrigued by them. Storylines. What you got for me? Number one, I love talking about this whenever I can kind of highlight it, and it is glaring in the SEC. So let's talk about continuity versus transfers. Sure. (laughs) On one hand, you have Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. I'm kind of categorizing. To me, there are six teams probably that are slightly ahead of everybody else. Sure. And they kind of split nicely into two groups. Right, so Auburn. I mean, three of your top five scores, including Johnny Broom, are back. Okay, Aiden Holloway, your big time recruit. You do add Denver Jones, who averaged twenty four two and two at Florida International. So there are going to be new pieces, but there's a lot coming back there. We talked about Texas A and M. Basically, everybody's back. Tennessee, yeah, some pieces are gone, but you also have Santiago Vescovi, Zakai Ziegler, Josiah Jordan, James, Jemaine Meshack, Jonas Adu. You got plenty of guys from last season's team back, and I would argue the core of last season's team's back, team back, specifically your back. So that's one side of the equation is three of the more hyped teams, specifically Texas A&M and Tennessee. Then you got the other three, which are Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas. We talked about Kentucky. Obviously, it's basically brand new. Arkansas, doing the Arkansas thing. You got some guys back. Do you and we even had this conversation off air of what do you do with Trevor Brazil? Is Trevor Brazil a returner or is he a new player? Because unfortunately, he obviously didn't really get to factor into last season's team. Right. Devo Davis, Makai Mitchell back, Jalen Graham back. Okay, so you've got some guys, but then you've got your big time recruits, Bayfall, Layden Blocker. Then you got Chandler Larson, L. Ellis, Jeremiah Davenport, Kale Battle, Tremont Mark, all kinds of new, really important pieces to that team. And mm-hmm. then Alabama, of course. You always have to have the transfers. Grant Nelson, Latrell Whitesell, Aaron Estrada, Mohamed Wagu, big-time mid-major players, right? Some of the most sought-after guys in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Mark Sears is back. I really like Ryan Griffin. He's going to have, to me, he's one of the glaring breakout candidates in this conference to have a really, really good season. But it's going to come down to the transfers, basically. And another transfer in Mark Sears, who gets another year. So that is, to me, the storyline of this conference is at the top. You kind of have these two different ways these rosters are built. 
and is it the the new teams that have the edge or is it the teams that are built around a core of three to five guys who have been around for a little bit and done this before together that end up having the edge yeah and to to make it even more interesting it's not like it's not like one of those teams went you know 15 and 3 or you know 14 and 4 in conference last year and so as a result they're the clear yes they're like the team like Tennessee went 11 and 7 in the SEC last year mm-hmm. which is way worse than i had remembered it with but, the qualifier of Zakai Ziegler getting injured right but wasn't that late in the season right but it was still not going well before he got hurt yeah um and they still had some some big big duds Mm-hmm. in in conference play yeah so it's not like of course alabama was the storyline of the conference last year and that's different for obvious reasons but it's not like there was a team one of those teams with continuity was kind of right there under the surface i mean i guess it's texas a&m if there is one but i think it's fair to say that nobody is looking at the 15 and 3 texas a&m team and kind of sliding them in as the team to beat in this conference right at least not the the runaway team to be yeah. in this conference. So that makes it even more intriguing because Tennessee, like, I mean, I guess, I guess Dalton Necht can be the reason that they're an awesome offense this year, but I doubt it. I, I don't see them making a jump from, you know, 45th in offensive efficiency to 24th. Like I, I don't see that coming. Maybe it, maybe it does happen, but I don't see it coming. So, um, there's Uber talent on the rosters that don't have continuity and maybe not so much blow me away talent on the teams that have continuity. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. It, it's, do you trust the kind of steady consistency <laughs> or do you want to go take a chance with the much more variable this could be ridiculously good or pretty bad <laughs> yeah my 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 title race storyline is just simply how many teams are a part of it mm-hmm. you could talk me into anywhere between 1 and 5 teams being in the race for the conference regular season title with two weeks left. You could talk me into any of it. And you could talk me into multiple teams being that team that has run away with it. Um, There are probably six teams, like you said, that could be in the conversation. And of course it'll probably like it, it, it'll probably end up being somewhere in the middle that there are three teams with a real chance with a couple, with a couple weeks left. But, not only do I not have a ton of conviction about who's going to win this conference, I don't have a ton of conviction about how many teams are going to have a shot when we get to the back half of the conference schedule. To me, there are, I'm going to throw a little miss in there. Seven. You could there, convince. Th- sure. Uh, now, would I pick Ole Miss to win the conference? No. No. But when you get into a third or fourth, would I be floored if they finished ahead of Texas A&M or Auburn? No. 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 So maybe they're they're 6B or something. But I'm right there with you that 
I can justify just about any order. And the teams that you would immediately go to, and we, we can talk about this more when we make our picks, major question marks, mm. at least for me. It's not just a, oh, this team looks like the best on paper, so I'm going with them. I have very specific reasons why I don't want to do that. My kind of big thing here in storylines is kind of it's it's kind of connected with this with this conversation, but am I gonna be super impressed by anybody on February first from this conference? Because when you when you run down it and we can run down I have I have those six teams. So so for Tennessee, it's do they show me anything offensively yep. that they didn't show me last year? Um if 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 they are going to, it's probably going to be because of a guy who's coming from Northern Colorado. And you know how I feel about mid-major transfers who come with a really attractive points per game number next to their name. Dalton next should be good. 20.2 points per game. Good. Absolutely not. And, uh, and we'll see what that means in terms of their shot creation and just, just the, the impact, their ability to improvise. Tennessee has not been able to improvise nope. at all the last two years or so. And yep. so can they do that can, when things break down? Because even when Zakai Ziegler, as good as he is, when that guy for you is 5'9", five, 5'10", five, however tall Ziegler is, and he's coming off an, an injury that's going to um, mess with his explosiveness, then uh, then I've got questions. Uh, Arkansas's lineup looks Really impressive. Devo Davis, Trevon Marks, Trevon, uh, Trevon Brazil. Uh, but you lose Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, and Ricky Council the fourth, RC4, our guy. Um, so after last year, like there's a lot to replace there. And a mm-hmm. lot of guys that do do the the connective tissue things, like like Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh. It's not just it's not just uh making up for, for production. I mean, I'm just not sure Caleb Battle is gonna have the same impact on a game that that <laughs> that Anthony Black did. Um obviously Kentucky's recruiting class unprecedented, but that's not how you build high quality college basketball teams anymore. It's just not. Um Texas A&M which which do we get non-conference Texas A&M or do we get conference Texas A&M? Straight and what is up. conference Texas A&M ceiling? Right. Absolutely. Alabama, you talked about Mark Sears. They bring in Aaron Estrada, Latrell Wrightsell, Grant Nelson. All three of those guys are mid-major guys with an impressive points per game number next to their name. So what does that actually mean? And and of course, Auburn, who I'll throw in there as well, brings in the only five-star in this conference this season that doesn't have Kentucky on the, the front of their jersey. And Aiden Holloway, uh, J.D. Johnson, Johnny Broom back. You had it, Denver Jones from FIU. There's some talent there as well. Can they get their name into the mix as well? You could tell me on February 1st that I'm not impressed by anybody in the SEC, even if they have put together a conference resume as a whole that is going to put seven teams in the tournament. Like those two things can can absolutely exist. Uh, I'll be curious to see where we end up. Any reaction there? I'm right there with you. I had a real sure. hard time figuring out, picking a winner and figuring out how I feel. I just know the teams I think are the best in this conference. How do they stack up to each other? No clue. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Anything else in storylines here? I got two more. Hit me. One is just coaching progress. Sure. So many coaching changes last season. Some pleasant surprises. 
some disappointments, specifically Todd Golden. You know, what does Dennis Gates do for an encore? He was probably the most impressive. Also liked what Mike White did. And then I threw Jerry Stackhouse in there too, just because I believe Jerry Stackhouse is a good coach and that Vanderbilt team played well last season. Can they continue that? Sure. And build off of it and get to an NCAA tournament. And then also just the Chris Beard part of this too. Sure. If you want to put him in that group. But specifically the the core of this is the second year guys. There were so many coaching changes last season. What do we get in year two? And how does that kind of look for all of them? Can Dennis Gates follow up and it, it just becomes clear, okay, this Missouri thing is legit. Or he got the right combination of players and just new energy and it worked in year one, but that's not actually who this program is going to be. Todd Golden, that was incredibly disappointing. Can he step it up? You know, Chris Jans at Mississippi State, Lamont Paris, Mike White, I think did a really good job in year one. Can he do something more than just overachieve the really low expectations of Georgia? You know, mm-hmm. so that's my second storyline. Yeah, I think Missouri is what has one of those schedules where you go down and they they go down the schedule and they lost to pretty much every good team that they played. Mm-hmm. They lost to Kansas. You got to win against Illinois when they were ranked. Um, Kentucky at home, but then they lost to Arkansas. They lost to Texas A and M. They lost to Florida on the road. Um, lost to Alabama at home. Lost to Mississippi State. They beat Tennessee, but they lost to Auburn, lost to Texas A&M. So it's, you know, they beat all the teams that they were quote-unquote supposed to, at least for the most part last year. And if you do that in college basketball, you're probably going to have a solid record if you're someone, if you're a program like Missouri. But we'll see. um, We'll see what that means this year. Because they're probably not going to be as good as they were last year. So if they only beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, that 25 and 10 record probably looks something more like 20 and 15. Right. You're talking about losing your top three scores, most of your role players. Caleb Grill and Tamar Bates are intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not intrigued by Tamar Bates, respectfully. I'm not sold that either of them are. Now, Caleb Grill sometimes just turned into the, best player on the floor very randomly but yeah it's not like you look at those two guys and go that's how you replace everything Missouri lost sure sure maybe Tamar Bates just figures it out and lives up to to his potential but right what we've seen from him does not suggest that he is going to be this completely different player that is carrying Missouri so there's a major question if they're good again I think we're kind of in a situation where you got to look at Dennis Gates and just say, that dude's an awfully good coach. He's got this figured out because it's not going to be because they have more talent than most of the conference. You could Mm -hmm. make a case. Maybe that was how it ended up last season. Don't see that being the case this time. What's your last one? What happens if this doesn't work for Kentucky and Arkansas again? Are Are we just in a world where Alabama has control of this conference. If I think they Tennessee win, probably has something to say about that. Yes. And you could throw Tennessee into that that group as well. But do we ever feel like Tennessee puts together from start to, outside of that one Grant Williams-Abel Schofield team? 
start to finish the kind of season that we expect from them? Probably not. They just kind of—they're kind of like—they're just—they're just stuck in there. We don't have enough offense. That's right. that's their issue. So it's always the second, third, fourth best team in the SEC, right? Yeah. So if they actually put it together this season, okay, that definitely changes the conversation. So you could throw them in there too. I specifically went with Kentucky and Arkansas just from a philosophy standpoint. Sure, sure, right? sure, sure. If this doesn't work yeah, for absolutely. Kentucky, why in the world are we ever going to pick Kentucky now? We'll see if either of us are actually picking Kentucky to do this. But if this doesn't work, why would we pick Kentucky to win this conference ever? Right. And maybe that's a little bit of an extreme exaggeration, but you get my point. And I think you feel mm-hmm. the same way I do about that. I'll believe yeah. it when I see it at this point with the way the last few seasons have gone. And then Arkansas. I know the injuries played a lot of played a role last season. But my goodness. That team was nowhere near what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And Muss is going to do what Muss is going to do. He's got to reload with a bunch of guys who haven't played with it for Arkansas before. Collection of really good recruits and super talented guys coming from other schools. And yes, they have a lot of success in the NCAA tournament. Have they been consistent from start to finish in the SEC? Absolutely not. So I'm looking at this solely from an SEC regular season standpoint. Alabama mm-hmm. is setting the standard, and nobody has caught them. And I think you and I feel the same way about Alabama's roster, that on paper they should not win this conference. If they win it again, to me there are some really difficult questions we need to be asked about if anybody is on their level from a consistency game-in, game-out in the SEC standpoint. Trivia time. Who won the conference two years ago? Regular season. Was it Alabama? Not two years ago. They've won two of the last three. They won last year. Nope. Two years ago. This this team has uh, the best front court in college basketball that year. One of them. Gonzaga might have had something to say about that. Oh, that's right. Yep. That Auburn team. Yeah, that was the Walker Kessler Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith team. Yep. Yep. I had forgotten that. I had forgotten yep. that. I was just um I think you're right. And I think it's 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 definitely strange to say that. Because I mean two years ago Alabama was nine and nine in conference mm-hmm. in between the year with Herb Jones and then of course last year. Yeah. With Brandon Miller. Um and not that they're going to win every single season, but the idea of you pick Kentucky or you pick Kansas until you until you have a reason not to. Mm-hmm. Where I would argue we're getting pretty close to a point where you pick Alabama until you have a reason not to if they do it again. Especially with this team, because you're right, they they shouldn't yeah. win the conference with the with that roster unless so we have. They'll... Very much underestimated something, which is possible, and we will own yeah. if it becomes clear. But yeah. from what we're saying I mean, right now, Grant Nelson could be the best player in the ACC. Sure, yeah, that was SEC, by the way. I uh, I wasn't. There was that was like a that was like an ACC SEC blurb. I mean, he could be the best player in the ACC too. <laughs> That'd be impressive. That'd be really, really impressive. Um, alrighty, that storylines. 
We have two more orders of business before we get out of here. Number one is the number of teams that can make the NCAA tournament. How many you got? Eight. I have eight as well. Let's see if it's the same eight. Tennessee. Yes. Starting off bold. Tennessee, Kentucky. Yep. Auburn. Yep. Texas A&M. Yep. Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss. Yep. Yep. And the last one I have is Mississippi State. That's who I've got as well. All righty. What was, was there a team that got close that you left just on the outside looking in, or was Mm. this the eight? For me, this is the eight. For me, this is the eight. I feel pretty strongly that's the eight best teams in the conference. The other two I am intrigued by and would throw out there are Vanderbilt and LSU. Okay. I thought about Vanderbilt. I mean, two of your top four scores are back. Evan Taylor shot the lights out at Lehigh. The conclusion I came to was if last season's team wasn't good enough to make the tournament, I don't see this team season this season's team being good enough. Agreed. LSU, I mean Will Baker, Jalen Cook, Jordan Wright, a couple role players back. Talent wise, they might be the sixth or seventh best team in the conference. But I'll believe all those pieces turn out. There's just too many question marks with where LSU is at and the fact that you kind of just have to give them a pass on last season because of the mess that was inherited. Sure. I want to see what this looks like and what a team with these kind of players can actually become before I sit there and say this roster plus this coach equals NCAA tournament team. So I feel pretty strong about the eight. Those are the other two teams though. I could talk myself into potentially. Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's fair. I just couldn't quite, I think Florida's backcourt is going to be really awesome. Florida's another one. Yep. I think their, their backcourt, it could be one of the 25 or so best in the country this year, but I'm not totally sold on Todd golden. No. And it's not like they're, they're not bringing back a bunch of players from a bad team and then adding Zion yeah. Poland, Walter Clayton Jr., Tyree Samuel. Mm-hmm. They are replacing important players from a bad team. I just looked at that. I, I, I had that conversation with Florida, too. I forgot about them. I, I just looked at it and went, I don't think this team's that much better than last season's. They brought in Kyle Lofton last season. Didn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Right. Again. Sure, in a perfect world, absolutely. That could be a very good team. I'll believe it when I see it. Whereas you look at Mississippi State, who has arguably your five most important players back from a 21 and 13, 8 and 10 team, mm-hmm. and bringing in Andrew Taylor from Marshall, who was a 25 and 5 guy. I'm a little bit more optimistic when it comes to returning players than you. But by definition, that was a borderline tournament team. So they could make the NCAA tournament and they have another year of continuity. So certainly they could just take a little bit of a step of improvement, nothing crazy, and find themselves as a 10 seed or something. Sure. Anything else before we get to a winner? I'm excited to hear who your winner is going to be. I think this is going to be a fun conversation and it usually isn't. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. 
Um, would you like to go first? Or you want me to? I can. Go for it. I kind of left this up as a game time decision because sure. I was still going back and forth. I'm picking Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> I I can't pick Kentucky. Mm-mm. I can't. I also refuse to pick Tennessee until something changes and they don't lose two or three games because they can't score. Because that's the difference between winning this conference and not winning this conference. And then I I just don't think Alabama has the talent. I'm not convinced Auburn does. And so you're running out of teams real quickly. I don't, also Texas A&M, I don't see Texas A&M taking that kind of leap forward. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of think at some point Muss is going to actually get this to work the way it's supposed to and not just figuring it out in March. <laughs> Again, the talent. Now, shooting is going to be a concern. I mean, Jeremiah Davenport's probably your best shooter out of the transfers, and he's 34.7% for his career. It's not a bunch of good shooters, but you know how I feel about Tremont Mark. I love Tremont Mark. Mm-hmm. The Bayfall, Layden Blocker, I went through the names earlier. We both know what Caleb Battle can do. A healthy Trevin Brazil, Devo Score Davis. lots back. of points on a bad basketball team. That's what yeah. Caleb Battle can do. Right. So, I mean, you can know he's a sixth man kind of guy who can just put the ball in the basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna have to see what this all looks like, but I, to me, it's the best combination of talent returners and coach I trust, and program I trust. Which we'll get into the point where I also I'm kind of seeking out of both sides of my mouth because I've made the point about must in the regular season and not delivering, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stand by that. But I haven't given up faith that that could change. That's the way I'll put it. I went with Tennessee. Um, I I don't think Tennessee gets enough credit for being good enough to win the conference two years ago. They won the tournament that year. They won the 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 SEC tournament that year, and I I think they put together a performance that was worthy of winning the conference. They just happened to do it in the year that Jabari Smith was at Auburn, so. Mm-hmm. I think it would be easier to talk yourself into Tennessee, you just being people. Yes. If they had even just shared that regular season two years ago. And I just, I'm not totally sure that you're going to need, like, I think you're, I think 14 gets you a share this year. Yeah. And And I think that, the floor of a team like Tennessee bodes well for it when there's not a team that I, you know, we talk about this, like, is there a team that's going to make the team that I don't feel confident that it doesn't have a history of winning the conference? Is there another team in the conference that's going to make Tennessee win 16 games? Yep. Are they going to make them win 15 just to get a share? Cause that's when it becomes iffy. Right. Is is Virginia gonna make Duke win sixteen ACC games just to get a share? Or is Virginia just gonna be okay 
you know, good to, you know, good to really good when 13 or 14 games. And then all of a sudden Duke can have a stinker and still win the conference. Or North Carolina wins the conference. (laughs) Right. Or Miami. I kind of, I kind of have, I kind of think that's where we're going to end up here that yes, I think Tennessee at some point will lose a game 62 to 58 because they couldn't, they couldn't for the life of them put the ball in the basket and they'll have an ugly non-conference game like they did last year. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh, they just barely beat Colorado. No, Colorado is going to be good this year. So that's not a great example. Um, They barely beat Oklahoma 56 to 53. And it was the ugliest game you're going to see all season. 80 to 52. Right. Somebody. I think those things are probably going to happen again. I think we're in a year where they're going to be able to get away with it and still maybe it ends up being a share. Maybe, maybe they figure it out offensively just to the tune of 30th in offensive efficiency. And that's enough to get to 15 and three. Um, I, I, I decided that, that the question I had the least concern about when it comes to winning 14 or 15 games in this conference is Tennessee's offense. That's the one I had that I had the least concerns about it really derailing their conference schedule. So I ended up going with the volunteers. Bet on the high floor, not the high ceiling. Yeah. Because if somebody, because if somebody, I have more faith in their floor carrying them than someone else really lucking into a high ceiling. Lucking maybe isn't the right word, but falling into the high ceiling. And that is a very good point that, the last two seasons, a team has unexpectedly emerged mm-hmm. to a point where Tennessee couldn't catch. And last year they weren't. They weren't. They certainly no. weren't great. And, but and the injuries they were, were never part going of that. to catch. And, yeah. But they were never going to catch Alabama, right. even if they had a perfect season. Right. So that's also part of it for me is that we're talking about the same group of players. Sure. So uh, it's definitely a valid thought process and I just kind of wanted to do something different. Oh, I'm also, here. I'm, I'm, I, I'm completely here for just doing something different. Yeah. I, I just have no clue. And so that's really where to me, Kentucky is interesting because Kentucky is the team I could see and you just go, it works. They win 15 games, Tennessee. You have two stinkers. You lose a couple close ones and you're done. Yeah. Maybe you're within a game, maybe you're within two. But Kentucky could be that team. We're in agreement, I think, that we are not just going to assume Kentucky is that team. Mm-hmm. So Never again will I just assume Kentucky right. is that team. Unless they do it this season, then maybe we need to revisit that moving forward. But it's Maybe. I don't really remember being this uncertain about the top of a conference and how it's going to shake out. From, I don't, you could talk me to seven teams being the seventh best team, maybe even eight, nine, ten teams, if you throw a Florida or an LSU or a Vanderbilt in there, and you could mm-hmm. talk me into seven teams winning the entire conference. Should be great. That should be great. I'm looking at Tennessee's, I'm looking at Tennessee's uh, conference schedule. They play, they get Auburn at home this year, only play them once. Texas A&M at College Station. They'll play Kentucky and 
Alabama twice. They'll finish the year in Knoxville against Kentucky. So there's not really, I'm not really finding myself leaning either way. They get Arkansas once on the road, but anywho, they get Ole Miss once at home. So it kind of, I think it evens out pretty, pretty nicely. I don't feel better or worse about my prediction after, after taking a look at the, at the schedule. Fair enough. There you go. That's all six. All six conference previews in the bag. What do you Can got? Can I add? I would just like to recognize two teams we haven't really discussed at all. Oh, We've please covered do. just about everybody else. Oh, please do. Speaking of Mike White, Georgia. Okay, your top three scores are gone. However, you have sure. two top 100 recruits. Sure. It's good for Georgia. Noah Thomason was all Mac at Niagara. Mac. And, of course, we have to be obligated to mention that R.J. Melendez is now a Georgia Bulldog. <laughs> Indeed. Who knows what's going to happen there, but, man, if he figures it out and just becomes the player we thought, maybe Georgia's on to something. And then South Carolina, Michi Johnson, only one of your top four scorers returning. You do have a nice trio of transfers from Wofford, Vanderbilt, and Minnesota, and B.J. Mack, Miles Stute, and Tuan Cooper. Probably won't be much of a factor with the intrigue of the other teams in this conference. But there you go. Mike White won the same number of games. That's a lie. He won in the previous two years at Georgia, they'd won 20 total games. They won 16 last year. So moving in the right direction. Yep. Anything else? That is all. Six. We'll try this again. Six conference previews in the bag. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can catch all of them in the playlist that's linked in the description below. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just scroll back in the feed. You can find all six. Uh, we've now set the stage for a collection of conversations. We'll revisit each conference with uh, with somebody else in the college basketball world that uh, focuses especially on either a team in that conference or the conference as a whole, it should be a good time. And uh, we're very, uh, we're very pleased to have you along with us as we get closer and closer to the college basketball season. Please subscribe to the Jays for days podcast on Apple podcast, Spotify, and Google podcast follows on Twitter at Jays for days pod. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.